Yes, so John is going to be traveling a lot here soon. Uh, you're going to be going to Georgia and Colorado, and Meg is going to Montana. So you, mm-hmm. you guys are going to be all over the place. That's uh, You're going to have lots us, of you know, stickers weird. on your luggage. Are you driving all that way? Oh, absolutely not. Okay, that's good. We're, we're, we're flying out at the booty crack of dawn. Because that would be, like, total, I feel like that would end up being, like, a three-week trip, if that's yes. if that's what you guys ended up doing. It's, I want to say it is something like 20 to 30 hours just straight driving. Oh, it's got to be. Because yeah. my, my sister is in grad school out there, so sometimes if she's going to come home for an extended break, she would drive home because she's going to be here, She or she's going to be in Knoxville, so she would want her car. And she would want to have that that mobility option. But she's like, yeah, if I have to be here on Monday, I leave on like Thursday or Friday. Wow. And I was like, that sounds terrible. That does sound terrible. Because if I want to go to my parents' house for dinner, I don't have to leave until after lunch. Wow. Well, I know everybody's probably wondering about my voice. It's so deep and sexy. But <laughs> it's because that I've... <laughs> I've been congested for about a week now. It's not COVID. It's just some strange cold. And I feel fine. I just don't sound good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's what? Like the eighth winter of Tennessee right now? Is it? So I want to say, so we had this discussion at work. I want to say my thermometer says differently. It's definitely well, 90 today. So, but it was like re- not really, really cold, but like it was cold for May for us, for May. like a week and a half, two weeks ago. No, you are right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it prompted the discussion at work. Apparently, there's something called a Blackberry Winter. Yes, that is true. All I know is that it's a thing. I don't know what it is. It's a thing, and it is the winter that kicks in that actually lets you know that it's time to blackberries. Oh, yeah. Oh. The more you know. Yeah. It lets you know. It's, um, yeah, the, you've got the, um, here in Tennessee, I don't know, it might just be the South in general, I'm not even sure, but Tennessee in particular, we've got the different winters that kick in in the summer, and they're usually named after fruits, and then we have different summers that kick in in the winter, and they're named after, I want to say, trees. <laughs> The types of beer you drink during that winter. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm down with that. This is a this is a toasted porter summer right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is a look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. Nope. No. 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 No superheroes here. Just Jay and John. Welcome to the nerdiest podcast you'll ever hear. They didn't ask us. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of They Didn't Ask Us. I am Jay, and with me, of course, is my co-host, John, uh, who at this point is about to be very well-traveled with lots of stickers all over his luggage and... Man, I, I wish that was still a thing. Why we need to bring it back? Because I mean, I guess it, it. I guess it always can be because, like, I'm sure they sell stickers of your destination at the airport. 
Well, you know they do because you see bumper stickers all the time. You know, you see yeah. those cars. You know, usually it's a Subaru. And, it, you know, driving down the interstate and you've got, like, all these stickers from all these different national parks that they've been to. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you should be able to pick up a sticker and slap it on your luggage. Of I course, tell you something. I tell you something my family did growing up. Um, for a little bit, it was, uh, you know, those, like, teeny tiny, itty bitty little decorative spoons? Yes, I do. So, know. for a little bit, yeah, my that was our... That was our thing. It was like, oh, you know, we went to Alabama. We got to get the Alabama spoon. <laughs> um, we don't actually talk like that. I'm just exaggerating for effect because I think the spoons are ridiculous. No, you guys totally talk like that. I've heard your family. But <laughs> dang, I, think that could, I think that's probably true, actually. <laughs> um, but then we went to a state magnets and state we magnets. would put them on, oh, the, fridge. on the fridge. Yeah. And we, we got enough that it got to a point. And it was like, oh, these are not to scale. <laughs> like if you assembled all 48 contiguous United States yeah. United States state magnets that was a like Rhode awful Island's sentence. the same size as California and you're like that's not right. Yeah. You would not be able to make a traditional map. You would have to leave like awkward gaps. So it's like the United Archipelago States of America. <laughs> that's pretty good. I collect shot glasses. Ooh. So whenever we go to like on when whenever we go on a, a trip or a vacation, um, I try to get a shot glass that's that looks you know that that commemorates what we did on that trip. So like for example, we went to Chattanooga for a long weekend and we went to the aquarium. So I got an <sighs> aquarium shot glass. So I'm happy you went to the aquarium, but I'm really upset that you didn't get a Chattanooga choo choo shot glass in the shape of a train. That would have been great, but oh we didn't. Gosh. We didn't go to the Chattanooga Choo Choo, unfortunately. Mm. Some people. Pardon me, boy. This is the Chattanooga Choo Choo. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Every time I think about that, it plays in my head. Yeah. But it's also like it's a similar tune to like the Rice Aroni song that I had to introduce people to because they had never heard it before, and I was like, "No, I promise, I'm not a lunatic." Like it was a thing. Yeah. Well, remember in Young Frankenstein when he. Uh, puts down the window and he's like pardon me boy is this the transylvania station and they sing like they have like this little duet yeah yeah back and forth it's pretty funny that's a good movie we should review that movie so let's go ahead and jump into it because we've i it's not that we have a lot of news to cover but we've got a lot to record a lot to cover in the news because there's some big there was a huge announcement today. I don't know if you saw this. We'll we'll save this one for last because I feel like there's a lot we could break down and talk about. But we had uh, Amazon has just bought MGM, which is a mm -hmm. huge deal. Um, so we'll talk we'll talk about that at the end of the news segment. Um, but to start things off, so John and I have actually talked about this briefly where the CW decided that they were going to make a Powerpuff Girls live action show. And we both said yes, because that's the thing that we've been asking for <laughs> is yeah. live action Powerpuff Girls. Um, so plans were rolling out for this show to come out. The pilot was going to be aired. I want to say relatively soon 
Uh, I'm not sure the exact date or if they even had a date set, but apparently they're having to do some major rewrites to this script and it got really, really bad reviews uh, for the pilot. So um, for, for the script or for the everything about it? Yes, both. Okay. Okay. But mostly the script. So Powerpuff Girls, let me re- let me read this so that I don't mess up. Powerpuff Girls are having to have they're, they're going to have to be rewritten. Script was leaked online. Uh, I read. I actually went through and read the script just because I was very curious about you know why it was being rewritten. First thing, a lot of sex, and I can't stress how much sex was talked about in this pilot episode for example leaking nudes if they didn't get what they wanted so like the girls like threatening each other that they would leak nudes if they didn't do something um walking in on the powerpuff girls just finishing from like rounds of sex for example uh Buttercup, they walked in on Buttercup, who had just finished, and apparently it was round six, and they openly talked about it. Yeah, John's face is exactly how I looked, I'm sure, when I read this. Uh, talking about looking for hot people to bang while saving the town? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you, okay? Well, I mean, I mean what, what superhero hasn't thought about that? I mean, come on. And then even talking about what kind of lover their father is to all the girls he brings home. Oh, they they do know they were created in a laboratory, right? Go, please go and read it for yourself. I, I will just, not. I cannot stress how just disturbing the whole script was. And it was one of those things where I was like, I understand that they're trying to differentiate and make sure that you know that this is not the Powerpuff Girls that you grew up with, you know, the cartoon. But that was a little too much, I feel. That's that to me would be if if there was some type of retcon and it was like, "Oh yeah, you know the the pay cable show about the serial killer Dexter? That's the kid from Dexter's lab." Yes. Like, that's kind of the the similarity there in the sense of, like, these things shouldn't exist in the same paradigm. No. So, um, then on top of that, um, lots of alcohol use, multiple references to Buttercup being bisexual, the Powerpuff Girls... Oh, oh, this was... This was interesting. So the Powerpuff Girls were real, and the cartoon was a marketing ploy in this universe. So the cartoon actually exists in this universe, which was the only thing, when I read this, I was like, okay, that's actually... I actually really like that. Yeah, that's actually really smart to tie it in like that. That's super meta. Um, They were actually really unhappy with the professor... And he was borderline abusive, and then all the val- all the uh, villains were actually just humans. So there well, was not actually a monkey, Mojo Jojo, or I can't remember any of the other villains. I can but... I can picture some of them, but I cannot remember any of their names other than Mojo Jojo because that name is hilarious. Yes, and, and it's also can't... worth a lot in Scrabble. There just aren't enough J's. 
<laughs> That's right. So, um, so yeah, so it's having to go through some major rewrites and truthfully, rightfully so like that's after reading that I was like no that like I feel like it I mean I truthfully feel like it's going to fail anyway but it definitely would have crashed and burned if that had been the pilot episode people would have just gone absolutely bananas no pun intended I don't I don't know that giving it I think saying it would crash and burn would give it too much credit I think there would be an initial backlash, which would be substantial, and then I think it would be immediately forgotten. Yes, probably. It would become a cautionary tale of, like, this is exactly (laughs) what you do not do. Which I think it's kind of a game that reputation anyway. (laughs) That's fair. Especially with the script being leaked online. Um, So, moving on to the DC universe, um, the Flash movie. I don't know if everybody saw this. I know this was something that I meant to talk about in episodes past, and I forgot to, but we're actually getting it. It's actually happening. Um, And they're in the process of making it. They've shown that um, basically this movie is going to be filled with a lot of cameos. A lot of cameos. They've already shown (sighs) several Batmen are going to be involved um, now, will they actually like be in the movie or will it just kind of be like a passing through type of thing? We don't really know, but there's going to be a lot of, um, universe jumping, I believe. I don't love that. I don't either. In the sense that it feels very safe because they don't have confidence in the rest of their product. I feel like it's just going to be a movie full of trailers. Essentially, yeah, because they don't think any one of them is good enough to be a feature. Right. So it'll just be like a collection of kind of not disjointed, because I do believe they'll find a way to tie them together. But it's very much a, we don't think any one of these will work, but we're going to see which one has the best staying power, and then we might jump off from there. We're going to throw all of this spaghetti at the cabinet and we're going to see which noodle actually stays on the cabinet. It's like a uh, on on Good Mythical Morning when they do the where in the world is whatever. Right. And they have the special dart and it's just a big old mess. Yes. That's what this feels like. It was, yeah. one of these is going to be close to what they want, probably, maybe, we don't know. Maybe. I think we've we're giving this movie a lot more credit than it probably deserves even uh, now. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> um, so the MCU released their Eter- Eternals trailer. Um, so that happened. Do you want to know how little excitement I have for that movie? Probably about as much as I do. I haven't even watched it yet. Okay, so you're even less than me. Yeah, like I because all this stuff, right, it happens in the middle of the day. And I'll be like, I'll be scrolling Twitter when I'm on lunch. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is something I want to watch later. And then later happens, and I have completely forgotten about it. Right, because you don't care. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. So the trailer came out. Um, in fact, I don't even think I posted it on our Facebook page. That's how little I was excited about it. Like, I yeah. didn't even bother posting it. Um, I remember commenting on it on Instagram. 
Um, because there's a, a scene in particular at the end when like you've you've just seen all these characters, you've seen all these time jumps, you know, where it starts out at like prehistoric and it, and it's just and then it arrives at modern day and this little boy is like, Hey, with Captain Rogers and Iron Man gone, where you know, who do you think is gonna lead the Avengers now? And one of them, one of the team members, I don't know if you they're even a team. One of the guys says, well, I could lead them. And then everybody starts laughing. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> who, who are you? <laughs> That's funny. Because really, I have, I have, I still, I still don't know what character that was. I have no idea. I don't know who any of them are. I don't either. To be I, completely I honest with you. I looked them up just to see like who they were. And I'm still like, I don't really understand. So I don't know. They yeah, have like not... gold, like symbols and stuff that appear in thin air and, and things. That was yeah. cool. Oh, I'm sure visually it's going to be a very good movie. It's just, how is it going to relate to anything? I don't know. They're doing a bad job of selling it right now. They're doing the same job of selling the Eternals as they did when they had the Inhumans. Yes. Because the Inhumans was like, oh, this is going to be a movie and it's going to be really cool. And then it was like, oh, this is going to be a TV show that someone might watch. And eventually it was like, hey, remember when the Inhumans had a TV show? (laughs) And everyone was like, no. (laughs) No one remembers that. No, I don't remember that. I remember it not doing well. I remember that it was released in IMAX in theaters, the first two episodes. And I remember watching at least the first two episodes and being like, this isn't good. <laughs> but, oh man, the the faster Marvel moves on from the Eternals, the better. And uh, Jay, what's next on the news? <laughs> yes. So the next on the news, staying with the uh, MCU um, this is an article that I read the other day, and, and John, I thought it would be a good thing just to kind of leave it open for debate. Um, so, allegedly, I don't, I don't know how true this is, but allegedly, fans, I put a question mark after that, are wanting Sam and Bucky to come out as gay. And it was like one of the top stories from some website and reading the comments there was a general consensus and i Ah, wanted to know that was your mistake was reading comments on the internet yes there was a general (laughs) consensus and i want you to I, I, i want you to to answer for me if you agree with them or if you think that it's wrong and they said the first thing that came up the most was that would be incredibly forced to do that okay the second thing i saw was why can't we just have two guys being best friends i think they're both very good points i think it would be it'd be different if they were introducing characters into the mcu for the first time and they were adapting them even from a comic storyline or even a new character, like a brand new character being introduced first into the movies. 
and they were building them from the ground up saying this is how they're going to be but to take an established character and then to shoehorn it to fit like well we think someone might like this it feels very focus group yeah in the sense of like well you know we we think this is what people want us to do and not necessarily we believe this is the thing to do so in the sense that it would be incredibly forced, I 100% agree. And on the second point of why can't we just show two people being best friends, I think that's an incredibly underrated aspect of cinema. Can you I mean it it's kind of a it's a cinematic experience on yeah. on Disney Plus because you don't really have the traditional action movie buddy cop thing anymore. No, you don't. Typically, when you have like buddy cop movies, it's something like Hot Fuzz or The Other Guys when it's like an action comedy. Yeah. And you have action movies with strong interpersonal relationships, something like The Fast and the Furious. But that's a, a very broad ensemble where you weave together all of these characters and they become just this incredible group. And it's different when it's like, well, there's uh, six characters in this entire show, and uh, two of them drive the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, I I, mm, I, I agree, I agree with, with both on, points. On the second point, too, because, uh, you know, to further that thought, you know, it is amazing how it doesn't matter what show it is, but if you have, especially if it's like a male and a female like partner type of relationship, like cops or whatever, like immediately most people start thinking, Ooh, are they ever going to get together? And sometimes I do want to just see, why don't they just be really good friends where they like stick up for each other? Like, for example, I think a great example of that is, um, uh, Lassie and Julia on Juliet. Uh, Psych Juliet. Yeah. See, but that's a that's a, flip that coin. You also have Sean and Juliet. True, but in the at sense the same of will time, they, won't they? They were, they were not officially partners. That's fair. You know, whereas Lassie and, and Jules, they were partners, like in like at the police station, and and that never went any further than just really caring about each other and loving each other in in a sibling type of relationship. So I, I do wish, I agree with you, I wish they would show that more. Yeah. So maybe this is a new trend that we're coming into to show, hey, you know, you can have your, your bros and love each other and stick up for each other. I well, and I think that's one of the things that's going to be very interesting going into Loki because you look at WandaVision and it's all about the relationship between Wanda and Vision driving that show forward. And you look at Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's all about the relationship, the friendship between Sam and Bucky mending to becoming this unbreakable bond by the end of the show. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Loki, if he's going to be jumping throughout the timeline, like who is his anchor? Yeah, that's a good question. Man, I'm so excited for that show. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
All right, now time for the big part of the news. Amazon has bought MGM mm. for eight point four million dollars. This is uh, a quote. I think you missed a you missed a zero or three there. Oh, is it trillion? No, it's billion. Oh, billion. Isn't it? Isn't that like eight billion dollars? I I read somewhere million. Eight million dollars you know is nothing. No, it's not. So you're probably right. It probably that was probably a typo on their part. It probably was billion. Yeah. John's going to check it real It quick. is eight eight point four five billion dollars. Okay. There we go. Ugh. All right. Now, Mike Hopkins, who is the senior vice president of Prime Video and Amazon Studios, said, and I quote, MGM has a vast catalog of more than 4,000 films, including 12 Angry Men, Basic Instinct, Creed, James Bond, Legally Blonde, Moonstruck, Poltergeist, Raging Bull, Robocop, Rocky, Silence of the Lambs, Stargate, Thelma and Louise, Tomb Raider, The Magnificent Seven, The Pink Panther, The Thomas Crown Affair, and many others. As well as, I'm not done, John, 17,000 TV shows including Fargo, The Handmaid's Tale, and Vikings that have collectively won more than 180 Academy Awards and 100 Emmys. I just the the way that list of movies was organized it is like you had darts and you had a blindfold and you were just like throwing them at a list of genres <laughs> let's if there let's had been we got we got comedy action sci-fi we got, we got legally blonde we got poltergeist mystery. we got 12 angry men like what is what is the order here <laughs> and the fact that he had to name that many. Well, and I think it's important that he named that many because they are, like, those are all, not all, I'll walk that back real quick. A lot of those are icons yeah. in their no, you're genre. Right. Yeah, you're right. Silence of the Lambs, Magnificent Seven, um, Rocky. Poltergu- Poltergeist, Poltergeist, Rocky, Twelve Angry, like they're James they're these Bond, iconic yeah. movies, but I wish there had been some type of method to the madness. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> right. I read that quote and I was like, man, he had a lot of movies he had to memorize. <laughs> but anyway, so they've got um, they've got MGM now. Um, what do you think this means for the future, John? Um, I'll be honest, I'm not thrilled. Yeah. Because on a on a grand scale, if you look at food or you look at technology, you look at individual industries, you would be shocked at how many companies are under a sole umbrella. So in the in that sense, it's kind of like how like Disney owns Hulu and they own Fox and they own ESPN and ABC. It's like that but in everything. And it's just going to become more like that as purchases like this keep happening. Yeah. So on the surface, the the film critic in me really wants to believe what he said when he said this is about the protecting these masterpieces of cinema for years to come so everyone can experience them. But... Everyone knows an announcement like this is going to be sugar-coated. So there's something else operating in the background. 
And I mean, I'm a I'm a very pro- self-pronounced big fan of James Bond. And I'm just not thrilled about that because if you when was the last Amazon Prime Studios movie one that you watched and two that was good? I can't answer either of those. Yeah. Because yeah. I know they, they just did one with Michael B. Jordan because it was a Clancy. And I was like, oh, if it's Clancy, I might watch it. And then I didn't watch it. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And, but at the same time, it looks like they're not necessarily going to be taking over the studio as much as just working with the studio. So I, at least that's what I got from his quote you know, it's more of like a coming alongside them and kind of just giving them the financial support. Um, because he said, you know, he, he's like, we want to respect their creativity. And so I, I really do think it's it's going to be okay as far as the, the movies go. And, you know, it's not like Amazon is going to completely take over and only use their people. Yeah. You know, so I'll be interested to see what happens. And um, I do wonder going forward, though, if that means that the movies that are released, if they're going to be released in theaters and on Amazon at the same time. Yes. Uh, which I, I it really feels like that's the, the direction that a lot of studios are starting to take. I, I agree about that. The the thought of distribution really does scare me. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have Disney. Didn't Disney threaten that they would stop sending their movies to non-Disney theaters? Like, they would have a Disney theater chain? I haven't read that. I hope that's not the truth, but... I wouldn't... I, it would take a lot to surprise me when large amounts of money are involved. Yeah. I don't know. But I just... Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm not thrilled about that. That's a very, very good point. Well, I believe that is it for the news. I don't have anything else. Did you have anything else? I'm thinking, thinking, thinking. I don't believe so, no. Okay. Moving on to The Bad Batch. We've got two episodes to review this week with The Replacements. Actually, sorry. Replacements. It's not The Replacements. And Cornered are the two episodes. And I don't really remember what happens in replacements. I remember that the Bad Batch is replaced. I remember that's why it's called Replacements. But that's really the only thing I remember. Oh, they get stuck on a planet. That's right. Yes, it's the... They start... Crosshair has the... um elite human team to lead so they're testing his leadership but they're also testing can these type of soldiers perform similarly to clones yes it's that whole episode felt very forgettable it was very forgettable and uh especially with the bad batch themselves uh there was really not anything explored with them except that they landed on a moon and their power source was being taken by some sort of lizard that sucked the power source from the batteries. And so they had to go get it. 
and then Echo got her own. No, Omega, not Echo. Omega got her own room, and that was that was it. Yeah, that uh, that was that was the episode. Um, I'm not even gonna rate that one. <laughs> I'm I'm hearing or I'm I'm seeing something on my monitor where it looks like it's picking something up in the microphone when it's completely silent in this room. Huh. So I'm just curious. You have a ghost. Well, I mean, I have background Steve here. Um, yes, you do. Maybe he's trying to say something. Well, I would uh, I would let him because, uh, I'm just kidding, I wouldn't. He's a cardboard cutout. I would throw him away if he tried to talk. <laughs> it scared me so bad. So Cornered was the definitely the better episode of these two, and um, I really liked it a lot because we got a character from Mandalorian in the show. I thought that was really cool. It was kind of a nice little tie-in. Uh, it made me wonder if we could possibly see Mando at some point, uh, because we do know that he, during the clone... Uh, you know, during the um, Clone Wars, he was rescued by the Mandalorian. So possibly, but I, I don't know. I doubt it. I think it's a lot easier to tie minor characters together in all of these things. Because if you take major characters, especially title characters like the Mandalorian, it kind of goes back to the conversation we had earlier and it just it would feel forced. Yes. Because there's not a great way to try and do that organically. So, like when when Ahsoka was introduced in The Mandalorian, it worked because there was a reason for her to be there. And I mean Mando would be a child during this, right? Yes. May, maybe like t- teens to 20s. Yes. So, I feel like if you were going to have a show about him cutting his teeth as a bounty hunter, you would have a dedicated show to you would have you would have young mando like how they had like big bang theory and young sheldon yes you would yeah you would just have a sitcom of he's learning how to like hit people with his rifle and there's a laugh track and it's really bad but somehow it keeps getting renewed <laughs> yes but the character we're talking about is um finnick is that how you say mm-hmm. her name finnick shand shand yeah um, so she was the really good sharpshooter that we see in Mandalorian and uh, ends up teaming teaming up with them. But um, it was cool getting to see her character, you know, doing what bounty hunters do. Trying hunting to collect hunting bounties. Bounty. <laughs> <laughs> so she's working for somebody. Hmm. Wonder who it is. But uh, the cornered episode in particular, they, you know, one thing they discover about their ship is their ship is trackable. You know, people can can find it, you know, and and uh, so it makes it an easy target. And so they decide to land on this uh, planet. I don't even remember where it was. They said the name, but I forgot. And um, they stop there and they're working on it. And in the meantime, um, Omega, of course, being a immature child does some stuff that gets her into trouble and uh, the bounty hunter tries to uh, kidnap her. Um, So we can only assume that it's either A, the Empire, 
or B, the cloners? I I think those are the two easiest assumptions, but I desperately want there to be some type of third force at work here. I don't think there is because it's too early in the rebellion for them to be a real player, I think. But it just it I don't think the Kevin Owens would hire a bounty hunter even after their incredible success, you have to admit, with Django Fett. And I don't know that the Empire would hire a bounty hunter. They would just like, oh, we think she's on this planet. We destroy the planet. Or C, hear me out, it's Maul, and she really is Force-sensitive, and Maul has sensed her. Okay. Plays into my theory. Okay. I don't know that Maul would use a bounty hunter so much as just Hunter himself, but I think it could work. Where does, so I remember there being a really strong conflict with Maul at the end of the last season of the Clone Wars, but how does he end between Clone Wars and Rebels? Because obviously we know how he ends in Rebels. Yeah, we don't really know. We don't really know how he got from, because he was arrested, wasn't he? I thought so. And he was arrested, and then they had the big fight in space, and... Maul got away, and Ahsoka crashed on the planet with Rex, and um, so really, we don't know what happens to him between that point and then when he's in Solo at the Sith. Uh, oh yeah, Solo. That's right. I forgot about that. I would I would think Solo would happen somewhat similar to the time. No, his appearance in Rebels would have been after that, because he was in later seasons of Rebels. That's right, and he also, he, spoiler alert, he dies in Rebels as well. Well, I mean, spoiler alert, he got cut in half in Phantom Menace and didn't... And well, w- came back. Right? <laughs> I remember when I saw him in Clone Wars for the first time, I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. This guy doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I don't know. It was, um, it was a decent episode, you know? Kind of Cor- the cornered was for sure. Cornered, yes. Replacements was, like we said, very forgettable. Yes, it was a replacement episode. <laughs> in the in the same sense that the NFL... Do you remember the NFL had those replacement refs and they were just terrible? Yes. Yep. That's kind of how I feel about, about the replacements episode of The Bad Batch. That's, that's fair. Well, I guess we should rate them real quick. So, um, why don't we just together uh okay just one to ten it yeah okay for replacements i will give it a three because it exists <laughs> participation medal yes precisely <laughs> uh, replacements i'm gonna give it um i mean you gave it a three honestly i'd like to just kind of give it like maybe even just a two yeah. Or a one, just because it really... I mean, the only thing it did was it showed us that they're replacing the Bad Batch. That's pretty much it. <gasps> no. Ah. Um, cornered, on the other hand, I'm going to give it... Uh, I'll give it a seven. I, I will as well. It's a strong seven to me. Yeah, and it, you know, it kind of sets up for, you know, a conflict that's going to be following them around the galaxy, obviously. 
Yeah. Of course, now their ship can't be tracked. So yes. that'll make it a little bit more of a challenge. But there is also, and this is kind of the problem I have when you have a very broad story in the sense of Star Wars start to finish, you know Finnick is not going to die. Yes. You know she's going to live to be in the Mandalorian. So there's a mild anticlimax there in the sense of like, you know, nothing terminal is going to happen to her. Yes. And we might have we might have seen the last of her for for a little bit at least. You don't we never know. That's true. That's true. We don't know. Yeah. So I give it a seven. You give it a seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We agree on these episodes and the overall weight that they carry. So yeah, I uh, so far though still enjoying the season. Um, you know, I it's a it's a typical first season. You know, of anything, it kind of starts out a little bit slower. You know, just to kind of give you an overall plot and storyline, and then uh, it'll take off from here. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the last like six episodes are probably going to be really good, where we're just going to be at the edge of our seat the whole time, kind of deal. I'm assuming. So, I hope so. We'll see. But moving on to the main event. The topic today is Princess Mononoke, 1997, 2 hours and 14 minutes. It has a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes, made by Studio Ghibli, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Hoping I said that right. I, I, I'm unsure of the first name, but I feel like most names are going to be pronounced as they're spelled it's just that the spelling is intimidating yes so it's very it's very consonant I, vowel consonant vowel con it's yeah Mi- miyazaki is what i would say i know his last name for sure is miyazaki yeah uh, the first name i've always been a little more uncertain on um this was i want to say his second film that he made with this studio but don't quote me on that. Um, I know it came out in Japan um, a few years before it did in the States. I'm trying to find his filmography on Wikipedia. The translation also I have read is very accurate, uh, which is also really nice, because I know that's something that happens a lot in... Um, anime shows especially when they translate over into english there's sometimes some lost things in translation lost meaning there we go that's the word i was looking for um so according to the wikipedia there's a a section called works which is a list that only mentions the feature films directed by miyazaki Mm -hmm. and it is like right in the middle really but um, in the the table of contents, in the Studio Ghibli section, they have early films, global emergence, and later films. And 1997 is the global emer- is the beginning of global emergence, so oh, that gotcha. would coincide with the release of Princess Mononoke. Okay, there we go. Thank you, John. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I um, so I I remember watching this movie when I was I want to say like 13, 14, 15, somewhere in that like vague teenager range and not really understanding it but thinking that it looked really good. It did. And it it has a good plot just even on the surface. It's like, oh, there's good conflict, there's good resolution. The characters I think are good. Like they're they're fleshed out characters. Um so I'm I'm excited that we that we get to talk about it here as uh, as discerning adults. Yeah, um, it's um, this is a movie that I actually watched a while ago. I want to say maybe three or four years ago. I watched this, um, and the reason why is there was a guy that I watched on YouTube who reviews a lot of uh, different movies. And then he'll do like an essay on it and just kind of give his thoughts about the history of the movie and, you know, the, the meaning of the movie. And he reviewed this, which was his first anime to review. And so I ended up watching it just because it, it intrigued me. And um, it is really good. I, it's, it's one of the few anime that I've watched that I, I walked away from it and really understood the meaning behind it, like when it finished and um, so it really stands out to me, and I think the 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes is very accurate uh, for me when, when I think about this movie. And um, it's uh, kind of interesting that it's also, you know, the when it got over here to the States, um, I think Disney is the studio that kind of like backed it up and released it, so I guess technically she is a... A Disney princess. <laughs> so she's a blood sucking Disney princess. Not in a in a vampiric way, in a try to suck out the poison way. Yes. For for clarification in case you haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll do a quick summary. Uh John, if you wouldn't mind pulling that up. Got uh, it. Just so everybody remembers, this is a very spoiler heavy podcast so if you haven't watched this you might want to pause and go watch the movie uh it was on hbo um i believe it is also on amazon i think pretty sure i i don't know i have it on dvd so you know what if you'll give me just a brief (laughs) second i can actually look it up and tell you exactly where you can find it not a uh, not a sponsor at all, but there's an app called Just Watch, and you can oh. download that and type in any movie, and it will tell you where it can be streamed, bought, and rented. So currently, it is only being streamed on HBO Max, but you can buy it on Apple, Amazon, YouTube, and Vudu, whatever that is. But yeah, there you go. Huh. All right. That's, away, a, that's a really interesting little app, actually. Yeah, it's really nice. Okay, so um, in Muromachi, Japan, an Amishi village is attacked by a demon. The last surviving Amishi prince, Ashitaka, the hero of the story, uh, kills it before it reaches the village, but its corruption curses his right arm. The curse gives him superhuman strength, but will eventually spread through his body and kill him. Sorry. I drank my water at two weirdly of intervals, and I had to burp. Ah. 
Um, the villagers discovered that the demon was a boar god, Nago, corrupted by an iron ball lodged in his body. The village's wise woman tells Ashitaka that he may find a cure in the western lands Nago came from, but he can never return to his homeland. Heading west, Ashitaka meets uh, Jigo, an opportunist posing as a monk, who tells Ashitaka that he may assist him in finding the great forest spirit, a deer-like animal god by day, and a giant... I don't even know this word, um, Daidarabachi by night. For explanatory purposes, um, this is a link to a different article that says it is a gigantic yokai in Japanese mythology, which I also don't know what that is. So, that is a cultural thing that I don't particularly understand, and I feel the need to explain that. <laughs> and for visual purposes... It's the giant spirit that's at the end of the movie that's towering over the land. Yes. Uh, nearby, men herd oxen to the town of Irontown, which is led by Lady Iboshi, and repel an attack by a wolf pack led by the wolf goddess Moro. Riding one of the wolves is San, a human girl. In Irontown, Ashitaka learns that Iboshi built the town by clear-cutting forests to claim iron sand and produce iron, leading to conflicts with the forest gods and Asano, a local daimyo, which is a Japanese magnate feudal lord, subordinate to a shogun, but I imagine they were higher up in the food chain, so to speak. Um... Irontown is a refuge for social outcasts, including lepers who are employed to manufacture firearms. It was one of these guns that wounded Nago. Lady Eboshi explains that San was raised by the wolves and re resents humankind. San infiltrates Irontown to kill Lady Eboshi, but Ashitaka intervenes, revealing the curse to the townspeople, and knocks out both Lady Eboshi and San. He is shot by a villager, but the curse gives him strength to carry San out of the village. San awakens and prepares to kill the weakened Ashitaka, but hesitates when he tells her that she is beautiful. She decides to trust him after the forest spirit saves his life. A boar clan, led by the blind god Okoto, plans to attack Irontown to save the forest. Lady Eboshi sets out to kill the forest spirit with Jigo, who is working for the government. Uh, side note, Jigo is voiced by Billy Bob Thornton. Did, did you have that, like, pause the movie moment the first time he opened his mouth? You're like, what? <laughs> that's like, I know that voice. That that sounds like Billy Bob Thornton. Because <laughs> I absolutely did. And then uh, we actually watched this with our Tuesday night crew. And Ariel, she goes, yeah, no, it, it is. I looked at the cast. It is Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> It was, a, it was a moment. Um, anyway, uh, Jigo, who is working for the government, she intends to give the god's head to the emperor in return for protection from Lord Asano. According to legend, the forest spirit's head grants immortality, which the emperor had been trying to find a way to not die, as I feel like most emperors have at one point or another. Ugh, those emperors. What do you, what do, you do? 
Um, Ashitaka recovers. Oh, them? Uh, what? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not doing a call to arms. I'm just saying. Typically, historically, that's what happens. That's fair. Um, Ashitaka recovers and finds Iron Town besieged by Asano samurai. The Boar Clan is annihilated in battle, and Okoto is corrupted by his wounds. Um, Jigo's men trick Okoto into leading them to the forest spirit. San tries to stop Okoto, but is swept up in his demonic corruption. Ashitaka saves her, and the forest spirit euthanizes Okoto and Moro. As it transforms into the giant forest walking thing that I am intimidated to pronounce again, uh, Iboshi decapitates it. It bleeds ooze, which spreads over the land, killing anything it touches. Jigo then steals the spirit's head. The forest and Kodama, which were unnerving little guys, uh, Japanese tree spirits. Uh, the forest and Kodama begin to die. Moro's head becomes alive and bites off Lady Eboshi's right arm, but she survives. After Iron Town is evacuated, Ashitaka and San pursue Jigo and retrieve the head, returning it to the forest spirit. The spirit dies, but its form washes over the land and heals it, lifting Ashitaka's curse. Ashitaka stays to help rebuild Iron Town, but promises San he will visit her in the forest. Lady Eboshi vows to build a better town. The forest begins to regrow, and a singular Kodama emerges from the undergrowth. Credits. Very good. So, the first thing I want to say about this movie, I really like that there is no villain in this movie. I would argue that there is no pronounced villain in this movie. Rather, there is just different points of view. I, th- I, I agree. Because even th- there are antagonists because you yes. need conflict to move a plot. But each antagonist would think of themselves as the hero of their own story. Yes. So I think that's I think that's an incredibly valid point to make. I think that each of these characters was doing exactly what they felt like they needed to do. Yes. It wasn't that they knew that they were doing evil. They honestly just thought that they were just doing what it was that needed to be done. Um, you know, so nobody was more right than the other one. But ultimately, what this movie is, and and I don't know if you caught this. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty obvious. It's right there in your face. But it really is an environmentalist story where it's like, hey, take care of the planet you live on. Yeah. Take care of the place that you live because it's also going to take care of you. And I think that's a very very good message that this movie uh gives and the first time i watched it like it it hit me really hard i was like this has a lot of truth to it there is a lot of time that we you know we think we look at our man-made things you know like that ball you know because it started with that ball of iron you know that ball of metal like that doesn't happen naturally like that was man-made and that's what started this curse 
Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a, a cycle, like a vicious cycle. It started with humans creating this thing, trying to kill nature. And in turn, nature tried to kill the humans. But then humans tried to kill the nature again. But then they ended up healing each other in the end. So, yeah, um, I in a lot of movies, I do sometimes have trouble trying to find like overarching. What does this movie mean? But definitely, like you said, Jay, this one, it's not the most subtle of themes. No. And I, I for one, appreciate that because sometimes I have a difficulty. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you need it laid out right there in front of you. And this one does a really good job of doing that. Um, The visuals in this movie are incredible. Um, It just from the very beginning when that um, monster comes crawling out of the woods and it just looks like a whole bunch of like, I don't know, maggots or, or worms are just coming, you know, spilling out of this boar. I mean, it's, it's intense. Mm -hmm. It's like you get like, you kind of, you squirm a little bit. Yeah. There were, there were some definite heebie jeebies in the room Uh when we watched it. Yes. Because it's that that immediate discomfort of, like, you're not the hero. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something's wrong with you there. And even, like, those shadow ape things with the red eyes that sat in the, in the background. You're like, oh, I would never go outside if I saw that. <laughs> yeah, no, same. I would, I would definitely live inside forever, which is not incredibly dissimilar to what I already do. <laughs> self-awareness is important i i try to be self-aware <laughs> um the music music in this movie is incredible as well the the soundtrack actually has its own little little section on the wikipedia page well i could tell it's the same composer who did a lot of uh the other movies by um the uh the other studio ghibli films yes thank you couldn't think of the studio name yeah it i don't know it's it's very trouble like it's not troubling it's difficult to to think back and look be like oh you know there's like this is the iconic tune whereas you think of other movies from like the early 2000s especially like um like lord of the rings or pirates of the caribbean like you hear the beginning of certain songs and you're like oh i immediately associate that with that movie but kind of like you were saying it definitely like the movie builds off of how the soundtrack is mm-hmm. and it's definitely like that's its role it doesn't i don't think it, it i don't think it oversteps but it definitely is like i'm here to make the movie better and i absolutely do yeah so I, I do want to talk about a, a little bit about, um, I think, the consensus favorite character from my group that watched it, and that is uh, Yakul, Ashitaka's uh, mount, his yeah. his elk horse thing. Uh-huh. We think Yakul is the best character in the movie. Okay. <laughs> he's just so loyal and somehow expressive, even though he's the only animal that never has lines. Which isn't fair, but, you know, life's not fair. Um, he's like, when, so there's there's a bit late, late in the movie 
when Yakul gets shot with an arrow and he like, he doesn't die, but he's injured. And we're both just like, like every, everyone in the room was like, no, not Yakul. And it was the only character in the whole movie that, cause ever at, at one point or another, everyone in this movie is injured. Yes. Fact. And that's the only one we were like, no, please live. We need, we need this one. We need this one to live. <laughs> I also, what was your, what was your reaction when you saw the forest God's face for the first time? Oh, I was, <laughs> I was, I was just like, that's, that's just eerie. Cause and spooky. Cause he's, he's the first and time. Uncomfortable. Yeah. The first time the spirit God is seen, he's seen in silhouette. So all you see is this deer-like creature with this like majestic. It's not even a. It's not even a semicircle. It's like, just, I don't know. I didn't count them either, but just this this incredible array of antlers, and then, a little bit later in the movie, you see him, um, close up, and it starts from his feet and it pans up, and I straight up I straight up jumped. Because it's been so long since I've seen this movie, but I, they, it gets to his face, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> like, it was rough, man. You're just not expecting it, because it's a lot more human than what you're thinking it's going to be. Absolutely. Because you're thinking of it, a deer face. You you know what he looks like, Jay? <clears throat> he looks like the mask from Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. So just imagine this majestic, like, full-on furry deer, but with the mask from Crash Bandicoot as a face. Ah, uh, uh, I'm still a little uneasy about that, to be honest with you. Yeah, like, if I saw that in real life, that would be another moment where I'd be like, oh, no, kill it. Or or if I kill it, it'll curse me. Uh, you have a good life. I'll see you later. Like, Yeah, please stay over there. I'll view you from afar. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, what what a what a great movie. Um, I feel like we should probably rate it. Um, really, I just put on a number scale, I guess, because I haven't seen enough of his movies to put it on. I I agree. Which he has enough movies. Uh, but I feel like it's kind of a similar situation you run into with Nolan. In the sense of the movies that are known are known to be good. Yes, that's true. So it's a very top heavy scale. Yeah. Um I think I think one to ten would be would be the way to go. Jay, what are you thinking? One to ten, Princess Mononoke. Honestly, I'm gonna give it a nine. Uh just because of I, I think it's a near perfect movie. Uh the the message was very clear as to what was you know, supposed to be learned from this. And I love the animation that happened. The uh, fighting. I, I think that's something we forgot to mention. The fighting in this movie, like it starts out where um, Ashitaka is uh, shooting this, these arrows and is just completely destroying these people. Like he's knocking heads off and arms and, I mean, he's he's really good with a bow. And, um, yeah, I, and then the music on top of all of that. So I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. 
I agree. I'm also giving it a 9 out of 10. Um, but how you mentioned the fighting is something we hadn't previously discussed. I'm going to bring up the pacing of the movie. So it's a, it's a strong, what did we say? Two hours and like 13, 14 minutes. Yeah. Two hours, 14 minutes. And I don't know that it ever necessarily slows. No, it really doesn't. Cause it, 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 it always feels like something is happening, which is not the case in every movie. So it definitely is like if you get up and you go to the bathroom or you go up to get a snack and you don't pause it, you're definitely going to have this sense of what did I miss? Yeah. And that is that is definitely not the case in every movie. So that's that's definitely something that I was I was very impressed by. Yeah. So what is the rating you're giving it? I am giving it a nine as well. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, do, do you did you enjoy this movie a lot more than you thought you were going to? I don't know that I necessarily could say that because I did already have lofty expectations from watching it when I was younger. Okay. I I can remember the first time I watched this, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I remember finishing it up and thinking, wow, that was actually really good and I really enjoyed that. So... I think it is certainly worth checking out, even if you end up not fully appreciating it as much as we did. I think you're still going to enjoy it. I I also want to give it the caveat of I feel like it's a much easier introduction into more like the the anime style or genre or whatever than Akira, the, the previous anime that we had watched. That was much more ethereal, very much like... We don't really, I, I personally, at least, I didn't really understand what was going on. And this one, like Jay said, it's very, you get what happens. Yeah. So. The message is clear. Yes. If, if it's some, if it's a genre you haven't really explored and you're open to it, I think this is a, a an excellent jumping off point. I agree. I agree. Well, guys, we want to hear what you think. We want to hear what you thought about the movie. So please reach out to us and let us know. This was um, one of those, I don't think it was a movie that was suggested to us, but it definitely was um, a genre that somebody wanted us to explore again. Uh, So we did that. And so if you have something that you want us to explore and check out, please contact us and let us know. You can contact us at our email address, which is going to be the best way. They didn't ask us at gmail.com. You can also contact us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash they didn't ask us. That is going to be a good place to follow us to also see what's going to be coming out. uh, Because we always put what is going to be coming out a week in advance so that you can also watch uh, or read the topic that we're going to be talking about so that um, you're not left behind. Uh, But um, so check us out there. You can also follow us on Instagram at they didn't ask us. And then you can also check us out on our new website. Uh, They didn't ask us pod.com where you can listen to all of our latest episodes. You can see a quick bio about John and myself. And then there's also a little comment card down at the bottom where you can uh, let us know what, how you think about the show, what you think about us, what you think we can improve on, uh, what we need to change. 
Um, if there's uh, more that we could be doing for you, you know, something that's going to relate to you more or something that you feel left out on, let us know. And because uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, you can also follow my personal page uh, on Instagram. The nerd is underscore in. And then you can also follow John anywhere and everywhere at jmuller8332. Hey, got hey. it. You'll <laughs> say so you're on Twitter. Twitter, Twitch. Twitch. Uh, I think that's it. I feel like I should know. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's something I should know. <laughs> John's going to be having a live uh, feed going on on Twitch. We might even... Um, John, that'd be a really good play. You could put your link to that on our Facebook page if you wanted to. I, I could. could follow the, the live event itself will have happened that's by right. the time this drops. But, but I'm sure you'll have another one. Oh, yeah. So It just won't be as, as much of an event, so to speak. It'll just be a, a normal stream. That's right. Well, happy birthday to you, John. Thank you. And uh, you're awesome. We're glad to have you. And uh, I hope your tw- your uh, live stream goes well. Oof, 24 hours. That's, yeah, that's it's, something, man. It's going to be something. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah. Any any f- closing thoughts? Um, I don't know. I feel like you about covered it all. I mean, if, if you're out there listening and you said, man, I really wish they'd review this, uh, let us know. We We definitely appreciate suggestions so i know we this was suggestions this was one jay kind of danced around it this was a movie i suggested um of just saying like you know i remember really enjoying this i wonder how it held up and just kind of uh something like that so yeah um let us know some of your favorite movies if they're available to stream and mildly relevant to ner- nerd culture geek culture we'll try to we'll try to work them in sweet well john it's your birthday close us out all right well for for host jay i'm co-host john uh we're really excited to bring you this pod and until we get back with you next time nerd out thank you for listening to another episode of they didn't ask us if you have any questions comments or concerns we would love to hear from you you can reach the show by email at they didn't ask us at gmail.com. Whether you just discovered our podcast or have been a longtime listener, if you enjoy what we are doing, please take a moment after the show, give us a review, and also give us a rating. Tune in next time to hear more random nerdy thoughts and opinions from your new favorite podcast.